beautiful song. Thank you, Miss Heidi, Miss Robin, Brother Eric Caden, for your ministry to us today on the instruments. I want to ask, I mentioned in prayer, our prayer chain yesterday, please pray for some dear friends of ours and also the Bostons, and I know Steve and Eric Sammons as well were uh, attended Midwestern Baptist College, graduated from Midwestern Baptist College, but uh, Dr. Dave Carr and his wife Lisa, Dr. Dave is the president of Midwestern Baptist College, and uh, their daughter Kayla, their youngest daughter, was murdered last week, 25 years old, just a beautiful young lady. So please, if you would, just pray. That, that song reminds me, you know, stand still. There are just times in life where you just, the only thing you can do is stand still. You, you really, you don't know what to do and what to say. And, you know, praise God for the Holy Spirit that intercedes with groanings which cannot be uttered. When, when, you, when you can't pray, the Holy Spirit can pray. And uh, so just if you would, please call out their names. They have, uh, there's a visitation this week over in Orion uh, at Shalom Baptist Church. And then uh, there'll be a, a service on Wednesday. And so uh, just please pray for them if you would. I do want to welcome you to our annual Honor Marriage Sunday. This is our 12th Honor Marriage Sunday. On September 16th, <clears throat> 2012, I as pastor of Loomis Park Baptist Church, set aside a Sunday in September to deal with the subject of marriage. The Bible tells us, and yea, the Bible commands us to render to all their dues, honor to whom honor is due. Romans 12.10 tells us that. And that September of 2012, over a decade ago now, in the rearview mirror of time, we were blessed at Loomis Park Baptist Church to have many married couples who had been married for many years. Some are still here, as you saw, as we had folks stand, and still married today, while many have been parted by that last enemy, which is called death. But also, in that time, that time there in 2012, we were blessed to have five couples with 50 years of marriage together who were all married in September. I began to think if someone came to me, a young couple said, when should I get married? I think I was going to say September because apparently it works out. And those five couples were as follows. Earl and Verley Wedge were married on September 4th, 1948. They were married for 65 years until death took Earl in 2013, and then death took Verley in 2017. Jim and Phyllis Alcock were married for 59 years, September 15, 1956, until death took Jim in 2016, and just this year, God called Phyllis home. Then there was Vern and Helen Kidd, who were married on September 17, 1948. And they were married for 64 years until God took Vern in 2012 and then Helen in 2017. And then there were two other couples that were married in September. Tom and Mary Stevens were married on September 18, 1948. 
They would be married for 67 years when God took Tom in 2015, and Miss Mary is still with us. She's in a care facility up in Grayling. And then, of course, the last couple was Lowell and Pat McGee. And Lowell and Pat were married on September 27, 1958, and celebrated 63 years of marriage until God took Lowell last year. And there have been many others during my time as your pastor with 50-plus years of marriage, some who have been parted in death. Fred and Hazel Cassable, Max and June DeCamp, Howard and Karen Harmon, Howard's still living. Warren and Nancy Hicks, Miss Nancy's still with us over at Ganton's. Bill and Nancy Horsch. Hugh and Donna Howland. Of course, Miss Donna just lost Hugh not long ago after 73 years of marriage. Herb and Maxine Cohn. Bill and Tava England. I realize that some of you don't know these people, but those of us that do, it invokes wonderful, special memories. Amen. Howard and Jan Butler. Of course, Miss Jan's still with us, but... Lost Howard earlier this year. John and Donna Raymond. Of course, Miss Donna, one of our shut-ins. Maurice and Noel Taverni. And some of you that are here today that we had stand, the Hausers and the Swaffers and the Zimmermans and the Davises and the Merrills and the Kellys with over 50 years of marriage. And to you, I say bravo. I say Bravo. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 31, we read that God creates all that is, all that we know, all that exists in six literal 24-hour days. The morning and the evening were the first day. And in Genesis chapter 2, God calls attention to some specific details of that creation, such as... If you look at chapter 2, verse 7, it says there, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. A preacher came to preach chapel when I was in Bible college, and he made a statement, Uncle Joe, that I wrote in the flyleaf of my Bible, and he said, We're nothing but souped-up dust. <laughs> I like it. It's a fact. God, look, forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, I, I know, you know, if you're around somebody that thinks much of themselves, that's different, but most of us don't think very much of ourselves, but pretty complex system here that God made from a bunch of dirt. Just goes to show you how great God is. So we see not only the creation of man from the dust, but we see in the same verse, it says, And breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Never forget this. You are not a body with a soul. You are a soul that lives in a body. And you are eternal. We see him in verses 8 and 15. If you look at verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Over to verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. I, I like to remind, uh, especially my children of this, that God did ordain work. And it was before the fall. 
Work got hard after the fall, but God, in all labor there's profit, Proverbs says. And so we see God placing man in the garden. But then we see in verse 16, we see God's generosity. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. You know what he did? He said, You see all these trees? Enjoy. I remember hearing the story of when Irvin Johnson, who became Magic Johnson, played up at Michigan State, and uh, he was drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers, and he took a, a flight in to Los Angeles, and he, had, of course, had a, a driver that took him, and he, he made the driver stop, Brother McKinley, when he got, he said, they, they saw a, a lemon tree, and he had never, you know, you live in Lansing, you don't see a lot of lemon trees, and he literally stopped, and he said, I've got to pick a lemon, I've, I've got to try one of the, I've never seen an actual lemon tree. And he got out, and, he, and here, God says, listen, oh, you can eat of all these trees, but then not only do we see God's generosity, we see God's one prohibition. Out of all those trees, we don't know how many there were. I don't know, hundreds, thousands? I don't know, a lot. More than not, in all God's people said. But he says in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it. So he gives a prohibition, and then he gives a warning. In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely, what? Die. So we see the creation of man from the dust, man becoming a living soul, God placing man in the garden, God's generosity, God's prohibition, God's warning. Then we see in verse 18, fellas, you ought to give an amen here. We see God's kindness. Because what do we see there in verse 18? And, and really it goes down further, but it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. And thank you for that. Amen, George. Amen. <laughs> I will make and help meet from him. God, God looked, and, and we read here that you know, God forms all the beasts, and he, he brings them to Adam, and Adam no doubt sees a male and a female and a male and a female and a male and a female, and it's just Adam. So what does God do in his kindness? Verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. God's creation of woman was to meet the needs of Adam. What, what a generous, wonderful God that could look and see that the man he had created was incomplete and so he made a completer. And then we find the institution of marriage here in verse number 23 and 24. Adam, <clears throat> really verse 22. The rib which the Lord had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Here we have the, the three participants in a godly marriage. We have the man, the woman, and God Almighty. 
Warren Wiersbe talking about uh, when Jesus was invited to the wedding at Cana said, wise is the couple that invites Jesus to their wedding. Wise is the couple that makes Jesus the center of their home. So we see God's institution of marriage in the home. And, you know, it says there, verse 24, hey, fellows, pay attention. Young men, pay attention. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's not a suggestion. Leave and cleave, fellows. Time to cut the cord. Time to cleave unto that woman. Mother takes a secondary role after you get married, and all God's people said. But then, we see them, they're both naked and not ashamed here. Obviously, this is before sin happened. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, boom. As soon as God institutes the home, boom. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So the home is instituted. All is well. Then cometh the devil. And we know this is the devil later in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It would call him that old serpent that was in the garden. We know who this is. Masquerading under the guise of a serpent, a subtle serpent. And in verses 1 through 6, until now, Satan has relentlessly attacked and continues to attack the home. Let me give you some things that probably on the hit list for any, any preacher, and this will get you a lot of amens, and I'm not looking for amens today, I'm really not. But when I think of the usual suspects that attack the home, I think about godless leadership in our country. Godless Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have people in high offices who think they are women who are biologically men. That is an attack on God's institution of the home. We have representatives of our government who wear high heels that are men. That's an attack. That's an attack. I think about the sin of homosexuality and how it has attacked marriage. It's not, listen, it's not the only sin. It's not the only sin that preachers ought to preach about, but preachers ought not to be afraid to preach about it either. It's the only sin that's marching in the streets for recognition. Homosexuality. It's an affront to God. It's an attack on His institution of the home. Sexual immorality and sexual confusion are attacks on the home. Think about these couples that stood. I, I remember literally a, a, a godless man that I worked with, and uh, we were going back and forth on an issue, and, and it was common knowledge that this man had been unfaithful to his wife multiple times. Brother Becker had a beautiful wife and children, and he was just unfaithful. And he said to me, I said, I said well, I've been married 12 years, and I've never been with another woman in those 12 years. He said, that's impossible. You know, that's the pervading thought in society. Just sow your oats wherever you feel like it. And by the way, that's why we have a fatherless problem. It's, it's immorality. And now we have confusion. We have, we have 
little boys being told they're little girls. Listen, every, every little kid at some point, three, four years old, says, I'm a boy. No, you're not. You're a girl. Okay. That's way better than surgery and transitioning. By the way, California just passed a law. <laughs> Everybody paying attention? California just passed a law that says if you won't allow your kids to transition, you can have your kids taken away from you. Huh? That is an absolute attack on the home. It's a home. It's sexual confusion. How about the immeasurable effects of pornography? You know, Hugh Hefner said, I want to change society, and he did. Boy, did he ever. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't know what a sex offender was. Had no idea what that was. Now, if you move into a neighborhood, you better do a screening. Immeasurable effects of pornography. Go, go, up, go up and visit. Thank God, Brother Mike, Brother Cole, you guys go in and preach. Uh, I've been in prison several times preaching myself. Ask them. They'll tell you two things why they ended up there. Liquor and pornography. Over and over and over. About Hollywood and the entertainment industry and what they push you got to be careful about what you let come into that box. I think about moral relativism. Moral relativism says, well, any arrangement will do in marriage. doesn't really matter. I remember saying when, when the Obergefell decision came down in 2015, and I'd been saying it for years, what's the difference between... If, you have, if, if it's not just a man and a woman anymore, if it could be two men or two women, why not three? Why not six? There's nothing legally that would prevent that. The argument dies once you have this moral relativism, like it doesn't really matter. It's, I think about Marxism. You know, Marxism is very pervasive in our culture. If you don't know what Marxism is, you should. Because it was a concentrated attack, particularly through the Soviet Union, to destroy the United States of America from within. And it's working. And one of the great tenets is to destroy the nuclear family. That's God's family. I think about no-fault divorce. You know, Ronald Reagan is the hero of conservatism, but don't ever forget he signed into law no-fault divorce in California. And millions, millions have suffered the effects of easy divorce. I think you can't, can't talk about the attack on the home without thinking about aborticide. 63 million babies and a culture coarsened and hardened for 50 years to life and the preciousness of life and the gift of life. But I want to look today, all those are usual suspects, and again, I think most of us would agree with most of those, but I want us to look, if we could, at the Scriptures in the New Testament. And we'll look at the first two in Matthew, and, and again, I'll not linger long, but the other ones in 1 Corinthians, then in Timothy, where Satan or the devil is specifically mentioned in conjunction with the attack on the home. So go with me, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. This is Honor Marriage Sunday. 
And when we say that, we're, we mean biblical marriage. We mean what God says marriage is, not what society says that marriage is. I don't care what society thinks marriage is. I really don't. If you're a man and you're with another man and you think you're married, that's up to you. That's your business. But I don't have to accept your delusion. Sorry. That, even though I'm not sorry. God's word says else otherwise. And here in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, the, the Pharisees are <clears throat> they're tempting Jesus. They're <clears throat> trying to get him to take a position on divorce. And really the key uh, there is in verse 3. It says, the Pharisees came also tempting him and saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? No matter what, isn't that lawful? And Jesus deals with them, and he deals with them, and in dealing with them, he lays down what marriage is and the valid participants of marriage. Just look what he says in verse, I love what he says in verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, have ye not read? He said, haven't you read? Don't you, don't you know the word? I mean, you guys are lawyers, you're scribes, you're supposed to know the law. Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them what? Hmm? Again, until about 10 years ago, this was just established fact. Wasn't that hard to comprehend? Not rocket science, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 5. And for this cause, so he's, he's recounting what we just read in Genesis chapter 2. And for this cause shall a man leave who? Father and mother. Not mother and mother. And all God's people said. Not father and father. Father and mother. And shall be joined to his husband. Is that what it says? No. Wife. The man is to be joined to his wife. Male and female. Husband and wife. Mother and father. Let me tell you, number one, how Satan attacks marriage. He attacks marriage by diminishing marriage. Diminishing marriage. People told us all, all the time, they hold up signs and said, uh, don't, don't like homosexual marriage, don't get one. And they, they, they think that's a squelch argument. Well, I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Marriage has been diminished in the last eight years. It has been... listen. Uh, and I'll talk about it in the next point. Uh, uh, male and female haven't clothed themselves in glory when it comes to marriage. We'll talk about that. But diminishing marriage, and then the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Meaning God says, when you will abide in my bounds of marriage, which is male and female, amen, that the bed is to be enjoyed. But then he says this, don't miss this in Hebrews 13, verse 4, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. That means everything outside of God's bounds, which are male, female, within the bonds of holy matrimony, everything else is adultery, fornication, and God will judge it. I don't care if you have a license from the justice of the peace. If it's a man and a man, it's ungodly. If it's a woman and a woman, it's ungodly. If it's a man and three women, it's ungodly. It's supposed to be male and female. All else diminishes marriage. 
God speaks authoritatively here as to what marriage is and the valid participants. Any arrangement you want is not marriage. It diminishes marriage. Number two, if you look down at verse number nine, he continues this battle here with the scribes and the Pharisees, and it's really like, you know, playing chess against a master. You're going to lose. The Pharisees are going to lose here. But they they begin to talk about divorce. And he says in verse 6, he says, There are no more twain but one flesh once they they come together. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And by the way, for my friends that think there's never such thing a divorce, uh, Moses did write that in Deuteronomy chapter 24. You may not like it. I don't much care for divorce, amen, but God did regulate it. You ought to read it. Deuteronomy chapter 24, we don't know what it was that was the awfulness of what caused it, but God did permit it, and here he tells us why. Why didn't Moses give a writing of divorcement to put her away? He said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Again, he goes back to the garden. He says, hey, we just had Adam and Eve in the beginning. There was no divorce. You know what else there was no? Sin. But as soon as sin came into the world, then divorce came into the world. And so, number one, a attack of Satan upon marriage is diminishing marriage. Number two is dissolving marriage. If you look at verse number nine, Jesus says here, and by the way, I'm a preacher who believes in the exception clause. Some preachers don't. That's fine. I'm, I, I don't force any. I, I've often said you could put 10 independent Baptist preachers in a room and you get 10 different opinions about marriage and divorce. Just people look at different scriptures. And, but I believe here it says that Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. Talking here about just that that exact question they were asking. Hey, can you put away for your wife for every cause? Jesus said, no, you can put away for one cause. And that is unrepentant sexual sin. Dissolving of marriages is certainly Satan's attack on the home. You know, one in two Christian marriages end in divorce. Christians. Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, know, I, I, I know some of you have been through a divorce. I'm not mad at you. If you've been through a divorce, you stay married now. You stay married now. You just make that decision, we are going to stay married. We're going to take our black magic marker and highlight the word divorce in our dictionary. But one out of two Christians, Christian marriages, Christians ought to know better. Christians ought to know what this book says about the issue. Dissolving marriages. Satan gets in there with with discontentment. and, and, And the next thing you know, there's a dissolution of what God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. Then I want you to go with me to, so we have diminishing marriage, dissolving marriage. Please go with me to, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's a difficult subject. Any preachers avoid it. I still think you need to be careful about it. I know we have 
some young ears in the room, and we'll do our best always in the pulpit to be proper. But this is something that needs to be read and said. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Now concerning things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is, a, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, so here's the context here, by the way, of, of touching. It doesn't mean Miss Judy can't give me a hug on the side, amen. It's having to do with sexual intimacy. It says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. One of the purposes of marriage is the physical interaction between husband and wife. The marriage bed, and all God's people said. And then he says in verse 3, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise the wife to the husband. Again, I'm, I'm being careful here, but husbands and wives are to make themselves available to their, their spouse in this matter of physical intimacy. The wife hath not power over her own body, the and the, but the husband, and likewise the husband, hath not power of his own body, but the wife. He said, as soon as we got married, we gave up our rights in this area. Remember when we said, forsaking all others. That means, if you look down at verse 5, it says, defraud ye not one the other. It is talking about physical intimacy within the bounds of marriage. Then it says, accept it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourself to fasting and prayer, and come together again. So he says, okay, maybe there's a time where, where you're, you're fasting and you're praying about something and you're going to deny each other your physical intimacy. But then he says, make sure you come together again. Why? Look at verse 5. That Satan... Tempt you not for your incontinency or your lack of self-control. Number three, not only diminishing marriage, dissolving marriage, but defrauding each other of marital privileges. Listen to me. Married couples, I realize there comes a time we, we, we age out of the physical relationship. I think we all understand that. But I'm talking to those of you that are married, that are younger. Listen to me. Monogamy is not celibacy. There should be a louder amen than that. Monogamy is not celibacy. Stop defrauding your partner. Stop defrauding your spouse. I come home from a long day at work and I, I'm just tired. You know what? Your wife's tired too. And you know the kids are just, listen, you can come up with any excuse and the devil loves every last one of them. Make time for each other. I tell young couples that are getting ready to get, to get married, I said, you know, the devil has so perverted physical intimacy that we think it's dirty. God's the one who invented it. And God meant it to be enjoyed one with another. Defrauding of marital privileges, dissolving marriage, diminishing marriage. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to look at Ephesians as well. First, Tim, First Timothy chapter 2. Bet some of you are glad I got off that point. I know I am. <laughs> That's about as awkward as a point as you make in the pulpit right there. But it needs to be said. It 
needs to be said. Many, many marriages wind up in number two because of number three. Many, many dissolutions of marriage because of the denial of marital privileges. And people just forgive me, they start, when the cooking's not good at home, they go get their meals elsewhere. It's not right. It's not right, but it's what happens. Number four, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 12. It says, But I suffer not a woman to teach or usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, again going back to the creation here. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived in the transgression. So it goes back to the story that we just read and, and tells us that because Adam was not deceived, because the woman was deceived, that she is to learn in silence. She's not to usurp authority over her husband. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. This is where the feminists call us cavemen. Actually, we're just reading our Bibles. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, the great marriage chapter of the Bible. By the way, when people come to me for marital counseling, I will almost always say, I want you to read this over and over and over and over and over and over again. You can memorize this chapter of the Bible from verse 21 to 33. It said, by the way, it starts, and I love the fact that this is where it starts, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Those vows, right? For thee and thee only, forsaking all others. He says in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What are some ways that Satan attacks the home and marriage? By diminishing marriage, by dissolving marriage, by the defrauding of marital privileges. Number four, by the distorting of marital roles and responsibilities. Ma'am, forgive me, you married him. You got to submit to him. Yeah, you married him. He may not be worth submitting to. That's why God put as unto the Lord in that verse. Because it has nothing to do with whether your husband is worth submitting to. It has to do with whether you're submitted to the Lord. Boy, this one's going over like a screen door on a submarine. Ladies are trying to burn me with their heat vision right now. <laughs> if you don't think that that is ruining homes, you're not paying attention. We got little henpecked men that are being led around by a little chain by their bossy wives. Now, I don't think we have too much of it here, and if we do, I'll know it in the handshaking line. But I'm telling you, that is a satanic attack on the home. And by the way, fellas, you're not off the hook. The reason she leads is because you won't. And not only are you supposed to lead, you're not supposed to lord, you're supposed to love her as you lead her. You love her right, she'll follow you to the ends of the earth. She'll submit to your authority. 
I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, in marriage roles and responsibilities, there's a lack of sacrifice, there's a lack of submission, and there is a lack of structure. And I'm telling you, our God structured the home just how he thought it should be. Sir, you're supposed to lead. Ma'am, you're supposed to follow. Children, you're supposed to obey, period. It's not much more difficult than that. Diminishing marriage. Dissolving of marriage. Defrauding of marital privileges. Distorting marriage's roles and responsibilities. You know, I remember this one. Go, go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, please. <clears throat> I know Brother Horgan and I, we grew up in the Church of Rome. And I remember the first time I ever read this verse, and this came screaming to my mind, Brother Tim. I mean, just absolutely screaming to my mind. You, read, you begin reading in chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Timothy. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So here is a satanic attack that is taking place through seducing spirits. We know the devil, he had one-third of heaven's angels that went with him. They, they fell with him. They are under his authority. He leads them. They, they cause chaos and evil in the world. And doctrines of devils. That is literally teaching, satanic teaching. And he says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, and look what the next verse says, forbidding to marry. Again, I, I had grown up in the Church of Rome, and it didn't take me a, a hot millisecond to think of the Catholic Church and the priesthood forbidding to marry. And think of all the sexual sin and depravity that has taken place because of that. So what's the fifth point? Disallowing marriage. Disallowing marriage is a satanic attack upon marriage. I'm glad. My goodness. I'm glad. I don't know how I could possibly pastor without being married. I really don't. I, I, I think it, it really is part of the qualifications of a bishop. I know, some, I know a very few unmarried pastors... Godly men, love the Lord. By the way, we understand from the Scriptures, singleness is a gift. Marriage is not for everyone. Jesus would say that in, I believe, Matthew chapter 19, talking about those that couldn't receive marriage. But by and large, God's principle remains. It's not good for man to be alone. So disallowing of marriage or forbidding it, distorting marriage roles and responsibility, defrauding of marital privileges, dissolving marriage, diminishing marriage. And then lastly, if you're in 1 Timothy, look at chapter 5. Chapter 5. And again, I'm probably not going to win any friends on this one, but you know, you either love me or you don't by this point. Sorry to our guests, amen. I'm not like this every Sunday. <laughs> Oh, mercy. Really, you can check online. I, 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 you know, watch an old service. I can be even meaner. No, I'm just kidding. Amen. <laughs> it says there in verse number 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 5, and with all they learn 
to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, busybodies speaking things which they ought, talking about younger widows here. But then he says in verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women, what? Marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to who? The adversary. Give none occasion for the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some are already turned aside after Satan. How does Satan attack marriage? By diminishing marriage, by dissolving marriage, by the denial of marital privileges, by distorting marriage's roles and responsibilities, by disallowing marriage, and then lastly today, by distracting from marriage's main focus. And we have some ladies in our church that have careers, and I'm, I'm pleased to know that I am not against that. And I will tell you this, the Bible is not against that. You know the first member of the church at Philippi? Anybody remember? Her name was Lydia. And Mrs. Hurth, she was a seller of purple. She was a business lady. Amen? She was. Amen. And I, I have no doubts was a great financial blessing to that infant church. But, ma'am, the main focus is to marry. Again, this is what it says here. I will that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary. The main focus ma'am, is supposed to be your home, your children. There will come a time. There was a time before we had children. My wife and I both worked. I remember, you know, now we have to write down uh, uh, when you, you fill something out. I remember we were filling out uh, paperwork for our mortgage or whatnot. And, and uh, remember we were filling out, you know, husband's occupation, pastor, wife's occupation. I'm like, can you list them all? <laughs> Chef. You know, house, keep, I mean, just, it, it, I mean, it's incredible. But if you write down homemaker, forgive me, a lot of people today go, huh. And that just shows you that the devil's attacking marriage. There, I, I am so blessed. Thank you, church, for all that you do for us that allow us to be able to, to homeschool our children. Because I will tell you this, I got into a, a battle with somebody this week about this. And I know we, we have public school teachers in our our church, and thank God for you being salt and light right where you are. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to fight about it all, but just for me and my house, I want my children around my wife for as long as possible. She's a godly woman, she's smart. Listen, I know careers, and again, I'm, I'm not mad if you have a career, but I will tell you this your greatest career, ma'am, is a mama. And I know some of you have had miscarriages and you're, you're so wanting to be a mama. You just be patient. You just, I, we had a dear friend in Bible college. She had, I cannot count how many miscarriages she had. She had so many gynecological problems. And then after 17, 17 years of marriage, she had one, two, three, four right in a row. And I remember her thinking, just thinking how glad Miss Vicky she was to be a mama. Be a mama. 
I'm going to tell you something. We, we still celebrate Mother's Day here at Loomis Park Baptist Church. I realize for some it's hard, especially if you have children that have gone astray, but there is no greater purpose, Mama. By the way, a man can't do that. A man can't be a mom. You know, there's, there's situations where you have a divorce and a man tries his best to fulfill both roles, but God didn't design us that way. By the way, God didn't design mom to fill both roles. What happens? We get distracted from marriage's main focus, which is our home, our children, raising them for the glory of God. Well, they're going to go and make their own decisions. You bet they are. How many better decisions would they make if you were right there, Mama, guiding them? I understand. I understand sometimes people have to work and make, make it work on two incomes. I get that. I, I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not being obstinate. I'm telling you the main focus here in the Word of God says this. Mary, have children. Run that home. Uh, I preached a message years ago, on, I think it was on Mother's Day, called Mother, the Holy Spirit of the Home. The Holy Spirit of the Home. What a privilege you have, Mom. By the way, Dad, you have responsibilities too. Amen? But these are just ways that, you know, again, we can... We can bang our fist about all the introductory points, right? But here's what we need to know. The Bible tells us, and I believe it's 2 Corinthians 2.11, that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. So be on guard in society that he's diminishing marriage. He doesn't have to diminish your marriage, as we just saw with all those couples who stood be on guard that he's always looking to dissolve marriage. So make your marriage disillusion proof. How do I do that, Pastor? It's actually easier than you think. Just read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, and do what it says. Husband, love your wife. Wife, submit yourself to your husband. If you mess up, say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And move on. Don't deny each other the marital privileges that come along with marriage. Don't, don't deny that physical intimacy. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't get in the habit of doing it. Make yourself there for one another. It's part of good marriage. It's not the only part, but it's an important part. Watch out for the distorting of marriage's roles and responsibilities. Beware of a lack of sacrifice, a lack of submission, and a lack of structure. Beware of those that would disallow marriage. Forgive me, that's a no-brainer. Just a no-brainer. No. And then be, beware that you're not distracted from marriage's main focus. Listen, Satan's not going to give up until God casts him into the lake of fire. So you've got to beware. You've got to be sober. You've got to be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeketh the homes that he may devour. Seeketh the marriages that he may devour. Seeketh the husbands that he may devour. Seeketh the wives that he may devour. Be on guard. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for...